Well, it's good to be here. Um, How's it to those of you who are at home? Um, We are so looking forward to the second half of our sabbatical. I mean, what a treat, what a blessing. We're so grateful to to this church community that that you guys value our health, that you value our well-being, that you value our spiritual vitality. And and we really believe this is just a part of how God sustains us and how God uh, causes us um, to thrive in ministry. It has been a tremendously challenging season, um, but man, I'm so grateful for this eldership team. Now, Colin's run out with the kids, as he tends to do from time to time, but Colin and Joyce and Meg's in class, uh, Zigrid and Nkulu are with us most of the year, Hides. I mean, we've just had such a good year together, serving him. I mean, it has been challenging, but we feel like we're coming out of this year quite excited, actually, about next year and what God's got in store for us. And yeah, there's some anxieties we've got and some things that have to fall into place. But, you know, daily, we just got to take those things to God, lay them down. But all in all, we feel like God's been faithful. He's been at work. It's been a productive year in, in different ways than what we could have ever imagined. And uh, who knows what next year looks like. (laughs) All the planning's there. Now we'll see what God does and we'll let him lead us and guide us. Well, if you're new to our journey, let me talk about where we are in our preaching series at the moment. We're in week nine of our Exodus series out of 11 weeks, so two more weeks to go. And uh, let me just give a shout out to King's Church London. I mean, they did a series on Exodus and it's really helped shape um, parts of this series in so many ways. We've been looking at how God rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt under Pharaoh, the superpower of the day, and how he's taking them out of slavery and leading them toward the land that God promised to give their forefathers. And we've learned so much about ourselves and God in this series. I think it's been tremendously helpful and insightful. You know, if you're looking into the claims of Christ, uh, if that's you and you're joining us online, uh, great to have you with us. Well done. Keep coming along. We'd love to have you continuing that journey with us. And then for Christ followers, who are the most of us, uh, it's been very insightful around our own followership of Jesus, what it means for us to be faithful to him in our lives today. I think it's been one of the series, honestly, if you've come regularly and you've kept an open heart, and you've really reflected on what God's been saying in and through His Word, that you would be changed, that you have been transformed, that your relationship with God is richer, that you've matured in your faith, which is, after all, what this is all about. It's about family, but it's about a maturing family. And so we listen with open hearts, asking God to transform us. So last week, Derek did a brilliant job at looking at Exodus 19. We're starting to, to, to talk about Israel as a covenant people. So we've seen what God's rescued Israel from, slavery. Now we're starting to see what God's rescued them for, or what God wants for them, or what God wants to, to give to them, how God wants them to live. And so we're at Mount Sinai. Derek took us into the, the beginning of that covenant. Today I get to take us through Exodus 20, which famously contains the... Ten Commandments. So, Hides has got some chocolates for me. I threatened to do this a while ago. Who can name a commandment? Heidi's going to give you a chocolate if you can do it. Anyone? Any of the commandments? (laughs) Honor your father and your mother. Love, honor. I'm scratching it out so I don't repeat it. Yeah, go for it. Do not kill. You shall not murder. At the back. 
Do not commit adultery. Do not covet. Anyone else? Kind of, yeah, that's, that's the summary. That's the summary of, the ten, of all ten, but it's not one of the ten. Well done. You get all the chocolates. Anyone else? Do not steal. Yes. Observe the Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Yeah, it's, it's you shall make no idols, you shall worship no other God. That's good. Okay, we got one, two, three left. One of them's about, yeah. Boom. We've had that one. Something's got to do with your neighbor and, and what you've got to. Now, hands, hands. You shall not bear false. You can get one at the back, Dave. Well done. We've got one more, God. That's the big one. We've had that. You shall have. Who hasn't got a chocolate? Yeah, you get that chocolate. Heather can get that chocolate. Okay, well done. That's the Ten Commandments. I mean, it's hard sometimes. Yeah, yeah, Meg's got one. Has everyone got? Okay, so let me, let me pull us back to this message right here. If you're at home, sorry, you missed out on the chocolates. Hopefully you get one in the future. But if you've listened to what I've said, I've said we've spoken about what God's rescued them from. Now we're starting to go into what God's saved them for, what God wants for them, and we're at the Ten Commandments. I mean, hold on, Don. Are you saying that what God wants for us is rules, regulations, commands? Now, before I lose too many of you, I mean, I don't need to say, you know, I think as South Africans, we do not like to be told what to do. I had a friend from the U.S. who brought that fish finder for me, which class does benefit from because he gets some of my cobs that I catch. But I was hanging with my friend, and he said, yeah, you South Africans, every time I come here, I'm amazed at how casually you take the laws. I mean, you know, like silly little things. <laughs> and I keep reminding him, they're, like, they're more like stringent guidelines than actual laws. But as South Africans, we generally don't like to be told what to do. So when it comes to the Ten Commandments, and I know I've got my work cut out for me, so stay with me. And for a lot of people, following Jesus can, can seem like that. I mean, is this what God wants for us, just to follow a bunch of rules? I mean, there are so... Is that me? <laughs> it's the kids. You can't hear it at home, but it's fine. Um, people think this is what Christianity is about, a whole lot of rules. And there are a lot of rules, commands in the New Testament. I mean, you must forgive. You must love others like yourself. You must be kind, lavishly generous, seeking the best for others. You must not sleep with anyone else's wife, and so on, and so on, and so on. Well, the beauty of Exodus chapter 20 and these 10 commandments is that I'm hoping we, we can make a little bit of sense of how this fits together, kind of obedience and, and, and God rescuing us and the rules that go along with that. So let me introduce uh, an idea right away. These rules, I'm using the word rules because they start with an R and alliteration is cool, but you can use the word commands. These rules are all about relationship. These Ten Commandments, the commands that we get in the New Testament, they're all about relationships. I mean, you've heard it said that Christianity is not about religion, it's about relationship. But here's the truth, though. Healthy relationships require rules. 
I mean, healthy relationships, for them to thrive, there has to be some boundaries, a common understanding, an agreed-upon uh, riverbanks or foundation for how relationships are to work, if they're going to thrive, if they're really going to be helpful. I mean, a silly example. I mean, if we left here now and we all decided to ignore traffic lights for my US friend or robots and everyone just decided to do their own thing, the consequences are tragic at times. And that laws, rules, commands can be really helpful for us in order for us to thrive in community. In much the same way, so rules are not actually in contrast. They don't stand against the, uh, relationships. We sometimes think, you know, it's either rules or relationships. And we, we see these things are kind of opposing, like, are you telling me to do this or are you asking me to do this? And, but actually, they come together really beautifully. And I'm hoping we get to see that today as we look at Mount Sinai and Exodus 20. So here's my big idea for today. You're not going to remember this, but it's this. God's people are a rescued people who are given rules which lead to flourishing relationships with God and each other, also enabling us to represent God to others. You're not meant to remember it. Uh, It's a mouthful. It'll all make sense by the end. But there's four key R's. And the order of them is critical. It's rescued. Rules. Relationship. Represents. And as true as this was for Israel, it's true for us today as we seek to follow Christ. So a little roadmap. We're going to make our way through these first uh, verses of chapter 20 in Exodus. I'm not going to focus on every law. I'm not going to break them down. We'll do that to one or two of them. I'm going to make some commentary and application as we go, and then I'm going to put it all together and we'll land in a time of reflection. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to get into it. Is there, can I have some water, please? I think I'm shouting a bit much. But let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it illuminates who you are. Thank you that it, it, it transforms us, it challenges us, it renews us, it corrects us, it ex- exhorts us. We pray that it would have its way in us today. We pray that we're needed and we're necessary, God, that you bring correction into our lives, that you reorientate our lives, and that you just freshly remind us of the wonder of being in a relationship with you. Amen. <laughs> Kids, water bottles always come into handy. <laughs> yeah, you could have done that. It's fine. So when we think of the Ten Commandments, like I did earlier, when I said we think of the Ten Commandments, just coming at us in order, like number one, you know, you shall have no other gods before me, number two, and so on and so on. But if you look at these verses, Exodus 20, verse 1 and 2, there's actually a preamble to the actual commandments. And the writer wants us to make sure that we see it. I mean, Derek spoke to us about this last work, but the order is so important. God wants us to know that first, I am the one who rescued you. Before the laws, I am the one who rescued you. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And the order is so important. First, God rescues. Then God gives us the rules or the commandments. It's so important that we get this because our relationship with God is not dependent on the rules. It's not dependent on how well you do or your track record of faithfulness to God. We're in relationship with God because He loves us. Thank you. We're in relationship with God because He loves us and He chose to rescue us. 
He chose to restore us. He chose to lead us into the land that he promised. And he redeemed us at at great cost to himself. That's the beauty of of Romans 5 verse 8. I'll get some just now. Romans 5 verse 8, it says, But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. It doesn't say, you know, while we were still sinners, God gave us the terms and conditions of what it would look like to follow him. And if we agreed to follow the rules and, and, you know, all the requirements 100%, then he would consider saving us. It doesn't say that. We live like that sometimes, but it doesn't say that. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, Andrew Wilson, he's preaching on this text, and he uses this brilliant illustration, and I couldn't think of a better one. We all know the epic Titanic movie, boom. If you're, yeah, the kids are all out, so they probably won't know about it. But in the closing scenes, there's this rescue boat that's kind of cruising around, seeing if anyone's alive. And you can hear Kate, she's saying, come back, come back. And then there's a Welsh head, and he's saying, hello, can anyone hear me? And then she's lying sprawled out on this big piece of wooden that Leonardo could have fitted on, I reckon. But hey, she says, I'll never let you go. And then she pushes him off and he goes down. I mean, it's beautiful, tearful. And then she swims frantically to the sailor right there. And she's, she, brr, 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 she blows the whistle and they stop and they hear her. I mean, it's just a beautiful story of rescue. The romance fell down a little bit. But imagine now the rescue boat gets to her. And the sailors are about to haul her in and they say, hold on, we just need to explain to you the, you know, the rules and regulations for being on this boat, health and safety, you know. You know, there's limited blankets, so you're not allowed to have an old blanket to yourself. You've got to share yours. You're not allowed to lie down. You've got to sit up because we're trying to fit as many people as we can. You know, everyone has the chance to row. And they said, you know, if, are, you, are you willing? Are you happy? I mean, by the time they get through all of that, she's probably drowned or, or, or dead, frozen of hypothermia. First, they rescue her. And they get her out of the water, out of danger, in the boat. And now they explain to her, now that you're here in the boat, this is how we're functioning. This is how we're maximizing our ability to save others. This is how we're you know, cooperating with each other on this boat to make the most of this situation. First, rescue. Then it's understanding what we've been rescued for and into. Does it make sense? First, rescue. Then, rules. Let's just stop for a moment and reflect. Do you believe you're only accepted by God because of your obedience? I'm speaking to you, Christ follower. And and probably when you've been following Jesus for a long time, this is something that slides in our lives. Or do do you embrace God's rule because he's rescued and redeemed you? Or do you believe that you're accepted because you live the right way, you do the right things, you've got the right habits? And... And it's not about paying God back. It's not like God bought the first round of drinks at the tennis club and now you, know, you spend the rest of your life paying back by ordering the rest of the drinks. We can never pay God back. But the truth is, because God has rescued us, pulled us out of certain death, He's so captured our hearts, we're so grateful, we're so transformed that we surrender our hearts to God that we long and desire to be close to him, to know him, to appreciate him, to worship him. You get to talk about that at Life Group a little bit this week as you gather. Is your relationship with God more about rescue 
or about rules. And, and honestly, when we get down to the nitty-gritty, it's, it's not always as obvious as it seems. But the difference is critical. Can I get the tennis ball and the... You know, there's a lot of Christ followers who struggle with a feeling of... There's a lot, this, is, this is you, by the way, a cute little koala. That's what I pulled off my kid's bed today. And, and say now this is God, the, the light side. Now, there's a lot of Christ followers who live like, like this is where I am in my relationship with God. And this week I'm here, you know, two weeks from now when I have a bad week, I'm this far from God. And then I'm close and then I'm far, then I'm close and I'm medium, then I'm far. And that, that's when we don't understand grace. That's when we're living rules first, then rescue. We feel far from God. We feel close to God. And we imagine our lives like that. I want to share with you what's always helped me in my relationship with God. You know, if this is me, picture this is the moon. We all know the sun hits half the moon, and so half the moon is, is lit up. And, and, and we, this, this isn't a perfect analogy, but imagine that we're in orbit. So as the moon orbits around the earth, we'll just follow it. We're never further or closer away from God at any time. It's simply just an orbit. Because we're rescued by grace, we're never further away from God. We're never closer to God. We're in intimate relation with God because of His track record. But the reality is, we know that the earth, as you watch the moon, you know that at times there's a full moon, then there's a waning moon, a waning moon, a a waning moon. Other way, huh? Waxing or waning, one of the two. But you, sometimes you glimpse only a sliver of the light side of the moon. Sometimes it feels like it's, there's no moon at all. Other times it's a, it's a bright moon. And I always picture, you know, sometimes when we're living in rebellion to God or we're not surrendered to God, it feels like we're far from God. But actually the reality is that we're, we're just, we're not fully surrendered to God and we experience a deficit in our relationship with Him. It's an experiential deficit. We're not further away from God we're simply not fully surrendered to Him. And depending on what's going on in our lives, sometimes we can just see a sliver of God and we can feel far from Him, but we're not. And at any given moment as a Christ follower, we can simply repent and God will turn His face to us and we will experience again this nearness that God has purchased for us. So I hope that picture helps sometimes Christ followers who feel far from God, close to God. No, no, you're never far away from God because of His blood but we need to continually turn to Him and allow our relationship with Him to help us to experience the fullness of what He has for us. Okay, so we see that God's people are a rescued people who are given rules, but why are they given the rules? Because they lead to flourishing relationships with God and each other, also enabling us to represent God to others. It's not about the commandments. It's not rules for the sake of rules. No, no, they have a purpose, and the purpose of the rules is something we desire. It's actually brilliant. It's flourishing relationships, and it's the ability to represent God. And what we need to remember at this time is that Israel has also, in large part, forgotten who God is. They've been rescued out of Egypt. They're traveling through the desert. They're at Mount Sinai. You know, they were in slavery for 400 years. They've forgotten large elements of the nature and the character of God and how they were created and how they were created to live as a result of the fall. And actually, the first five books of the Old Testament, I always like to read them partly through the lens of God revealing himself again to humanity, who's forgotten who he is. 
And so through these rules, God reveals himself to us. So this is how I relate to you. This is how you are to relate to me. This is what's important to me. This is how I created you and how you will experience life and life to the full. This is what I designed you for. This is how I'm different to you. This is how I'm the same to you. We learn a lot about God as we reflect on things like the Ten Commandments. So let's keep reading. And as we carry on reading, I want us to look at flourishing relationships. So it says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. God wants our individual and corporate allegiance. I mean, think about the contrast to Egypt, where he's rescued them from. There's the the shopping list of deities. I mean, they had a God for everything. We looked at this through the plagues. I mean, there were gods for the ground, the sky, the water, health, crops, a fertility, war, and so on and so on. The Egyptians knew how to hedge their bets. They knew how to make sure that they were getting maximum blessing and protection for every aspect of their life. Again, it's probably worth pausing here just for a second, reflecting about our own lives now as we follow Christ. I mean, do we worship God alone? Probably as Christ followers, we get a bit tired of this question because it seems obvious, like the answer is yes. But actually, we need to take time to reflect. Is he what is most precious to us in our lives? Is God the most precious thing to you? Is he your greatest treasure? Do you seek to honor him? and please him more than anything else in your life? Or is it more like a kind of a yes and reality, which is kind of what could have been in play in the Israelites? Yes, I trust in you, God, and my bank balance. I need you, God, but I also need, you know, career success and and, and good friends around me. God, I rest in you and the security that, you know, my wealth and my, my career creates for me. It's yes and, you know, we... We as people are just, we're tempted to create things, to make things with our hands, and then to hold them too dearly. You know, whether it's work or project, hobbies, career, you know, sometimes even our bodies or our families, it'll be good for us at time to time to just stop and do a kind of worship audit or an idolatry audit in our lives where we look at different aspects of our lives and we ask ourselves simply, what am I expecting this aspect of my life or this thing to do for me? What am I expecting this to bring into my life? What am I depending on this to give me? And then, and then you could even ask, you know, how much do I actually give and expect to receive from this thing? So it's first, what am I expecting to get? And then how much of something does this thing, do I actually trust in and desire and need this thing to bring into my life? And then what level of priority in my schedule and my energies do I give this thing? I mean, where is this thing on the list of priorities in my life? And you can look at your diary, you can look at your bank balance if you want the real answers, which is probably a better way to do it than just reflecting in your mind. We worship things by by giving them offerings first, the first fruits of our time and our energy and our money, and God kind of gets the leftovers. Now, I know it sounds a bit exclusive, you know, like, oh, God, only me, you know, worship only me. But God wants them to know that unlike everything else, he is sufficient. 
He wants them to know that he is all-powerful, that he is able to satisfy. He knows that everything else will fail them or control them or bring them into slavery again. And he also knows that the thing we need more than anything else is him. And so he wants to give us himself fully. And when he tells us, have no other gods before me, he's saying, I want to give you the very best gift that I can. If you obey me, you're going to experience a flourishing with me and others like you can't in any other way. So his jealousy over our lives is completely appropriate and loving. I mean, he wants to give us the very best. God, God's people are a rescued people who are given rules which lead to flourishing relationships with God and each other and, and enables us to represent God to others. I want to bring in the reality of representing God to others as we look at some of the commands and rules that, that come with following Jesus. Remember that Israel was chosen by God. God chose Israel as his people. And when he chose them, he chose them for a purpose. He said, I'm going to bless you and your family and your offspring so that you can be a blessing to the rest of the world. So that through you, as I bless you, that blessing will overflow. In other words, as the world looks at you, as the world watches you, they're going to see something of me. They're going to get to experience me through you. There's an expectation that the rest of the world will see who God is. So, so Exodus 20 verse 7, it says, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord uh, will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. I mean, we know it's as saying, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And the mean, meaning of this phrase is using the name of the Lord your God in vain. It's closely linked to the idea of, of perjury. You know, it's when you misrepresent something. It's when you make an oath or you say something is true in the name of God when it isn't actually true of him. Because the reality is your name represents your character. And we represent, we do something in the name of God and we misrepresent his character. We misrepresent who he is to a watching and needy world. And God doesn't want that for us. He wants us not only to flourish in our relationships with him and each other, but he also wants us to accurately represent him to the world. And so these rules that come after this rescue, help us to represent him to a watching world. Okay, we're going to look at one more command as we kind of bring these thoughts together about flourishing relationships and representing him well. You think about the Ten Commandments, and this is part of what God wants to do through them. It says, remember the Sabbath day, verse 8, by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but, on this, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do, not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the longest of all the commandments. You're to work for six days and then rest. And as God gives us this rule or this command, we see that he has something for us and for a watching world. He's, God's calling us back to his creative intent and how he designed us to work. Our lives are to include this intentional stopping, 
resting and cultivating of a relationship with God. And he knows that if we don't do this, if we're not intentional, that our, our relationship with God doesn't flourish quite as much as when we give ourselves to this command, as we surrender to what God calls and asks of us. The idea of Sabbath rest is certainly something that would have been completely unique to the Israelites. You wouldn't have found this in surrounding nations. And so you've also got these nations watching, finding a rhythm in this nation that shows them something about God. They're representing Him. Now, guys, you know, Sabbath is not only about stopping and ceasing from work. It's not, you know, only about catching up on all your DIY projects or, you know, just taking the day off. It includes some of that for sure. But it's a day that must be kept holy. It's what God commands us. He's instructing us that we must include a day into our lives designed to renew, mature, and strengthen our spiritual lives. That's, you want to know how you're going to flourish in a relationship with God and how you're going to represent Him well? Well, you give yourself to His commands and you build into your life an intentional time to renew, mature, and strengthen your spiritual life. But Sabbath is also about trust. It's an act of trust. So Jane Wilkin, uh, she writes a book on, on the Ten Commandments. She says, Sabbath rest requires that we deny ourselves the material gain or sense of accomplishments a day of labor brings. Our natural inclination is to believe that we are keeping the world rotating on its axis, a mindset that feeds a ceaseless work ethic. But Sabbath presses on that mindset. It is not merely rest that restores but rest that reorientates. It reminds us that we are not God. As we keep making our way through uh, the Ten Commandments, we're going to see a gear shift. We've seen a lot of vertical. Now we're going to see some horizontal commands coming through. It says, verse 12, Honor your father and mother, so that you may live long in the land your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your, covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, or no matter how good his ox or his donkey look, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, I don't want to get too deeply, I'm not going to get into the specifics of these commands. But as you pull all these commands together, you get a people unlike any other people on the face of the earth. There are people who are growing in their understanding of who God is. There are people that are starting to flourish in their relationships with Him and in their relationships with each other. God's forming a nation of people that operates <laughs> the way that he created to operate, that values the thing he values, that don't like the things he doesn't like. And they become a distinct representation to all the nations in the world that encounter them. I mean, I hope you can see clearly that this speaks to us today, that this challenges us as Christ followers, as individuals, but also as a local church family, as, as the body of Christ throughout the world. We are to be distinct. We're to be a holy people, a set-apart people. Obedience to God's laws, His commandments, His instructions are a critical part of our flourishing in our relationship with God. You want to know why your relationship with God may not be flourishing? Well, maybe it's because you're, you're not surrendered to His commands or His laws or His teachings. I don't know how you feel as a Christ follower. I mean, maybe we've undercooked this whole idea of obedience 
and, and purity and just the commands and the teachings and the instructions of Christ. Are we so big on rescue that we've forgotten about the gift of, of the rules and the commands that he's given us so we can flourish? Now, there's two things we can do when it comes to the rules or the commands or obedience. The first one is legalism. This is when we kind of deeply underplay grace, we underplay rescue, and we kind of bank on our ability to obey, our ability to be good. It's like we forget the preamble. I am the Lord your God who's rescued you. We go straight into one, two, three, four, and we keep a scorecard, and we know that our relationship with God is dependent on our ability. Man, we've forgotten that whole picture of the rescue, the Titanic, the rescue, this feeling of being close and far from God. But on the other side, there's antinomialism. And this overplays grace and just discards the rules. It says, man, if God saved us by grace, then why do we bother with obedience? It doesn't matter. We don't need to obey God anymore. In fact, some people would go so far as to say, actually keep on sinning because then God's grace abounds. And we can see just how good God is because he continually forgives us. Now, we can clearly see that both of these directions is, is not biblical. We don't see that in the scriptures. They fail to capture what we're learning from Exodus 20 and other places. Legalism leads to pride, shame, anxiety, comparison. Antinomialism leads to licentiousness, just doing whatever you want to do in that healthy, unhealthy elevation of self. Now, when we do what we want to do, we do what we feel like, our lives become increasingly self-centered. No, no, no. We are first rescued, and then, and that's pure grace, and then we are given the rules so that we can flourish in our relationship with God. A few weeks ago, uh, we read this from Exodus. I will make you a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. Now, it's not, I'm not a, I'm not a priest. I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm an elder. Now, priests generally are those who represent God, who are a representation of God. He's saying to all Christ followers, you are a kingdom of priests. You are a people who represent me. You are a people through which people can see who I am. Well, the rules, the commands, the teachings of Jesus help us to do that so effectively. Okay, let me start to summarize, and I just want to pull this message together. We're looking at what it means to be in, in relationship with God at Mount Sinai, this, this covenant that we enter with God. And he's saying, he, God wants us to know that we're a rescued people, given rules so that our relationships with him and each other flourish and that we represent him well. Let's answer the question, how well did Israel do? How well did Israel do? Turns out not very well at all. They actually broke every single commandment that they could quite quickly after they all declared, we will do everything that you've commanded us. Next week, Colin explores uh, the golden calf, which is kind of their first mass disobedience. And it happens very, very close to this timeline. If their relationship with God was based on their good works or their obedience, they would have been dis discarded right there and then at Mount Sinai, just fully destroyed. But they weren't. Maybe God's teaching us something here. Like, what about our lives? At, at Mount Sinai, through Exodus, the people entered into what is called the Mosaic Covenant, this agreement with God that he would get, be their God and they would keep his statutes. But throughout the Old Testament, we, we see this promise of a new covenant, a different covenant that's coming. 
Jeremiah 31, it says, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. He's saying, even though I was so good and I loved and I rescued these people, they remained unfaithful. But God doesn't abandon them. Sometimes as we struggle to obey and we, we feel unworthy, God doesn't abandon us. It goes on to say, verse 33, This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. You can see God's grace abounding towards humanity. God's grace abounding towards our inability to, to keep up to, to following his laws perfectly. Sin has captivated our hearts. Sin is decaying the world. We cannot maintain a right relationship with God on our own, and he knows that. And so 1 Corinthians 11, verse 24, we read these incredible words. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. This is the bread. And said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. As Christ follows today, we're under a new covenant with God. No longer under the Mosaic covenant. We're in, we're in the covenant of Jesus Christ, the true and better Moses. You know, Moses gave the laws, but Jesus perfectly fulfilled the laws. He worshipped God only. He never used God's name in vain, never misrepresented God. He was Lord of the Sabbath. He honored his heavenly father. He never took a life. In fact, he came to bring life. Jesus hasn't done away with the, with the need for, for rules and teachings and commandments. He didn't do away with the Mosaic law. He perfectly fulfilled it. He did everything that could have been expected of a human being. And for all those who place their faith in him, this is the new covenant in Jesus Christ. As we place our faith in him and, and his death on the cross and his perfect life, we are given his perfect track record. It's as if we've never sinned. It's as if we've never broken the Ten Commandments. It's as if we've never stepped outside of his love or outside of his gift of the commands and his laws and his statutes. And so we're rescued by grace and restored in relationship with God through the perfect life of Jesus. Not because we deserve it, but because he loves us so lavishly. And now his laws have been written on our hearts. He gives us the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that empowers obedience, that empowers new life, that, that, that lifts us and carries us toward Christ-likeness, towards maturity, towards flourishing relationships with God. And so we thank God for the gift of the Spirit. Let me land this message with this text. John 15, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. So as Christ follows today, what do rules or commands that Jesus gives us as Christ followers, what do they have to do with this new covenant? What do, what do they have to do with our relationship with God? Well, it's right there. It's as we remain obedient to his commands. 
to the commands and the teachings and the statutes of Jesus, that we remain in a flourishing relationship with him. If you obey me, you remain in my love. You experience the fullness of flourishing with me and with each other. It's rescue and grace first, then rules, then flourishing relationship with God and, and becoming awesome representatives of who he is. We don't obey God for acceptance. We obey because we're accepted. We don't obey God in the hope that he will give us something because he gives us himself. And the ultimate goal is not living a good and upright life. The goal of obedience is to enjoy God and each other. Let me pray for us. Ben, you guys can come up in the meantime. But let's pray. I just, I don't know. I, I guess I want to create a moment of reflection if you're at home. It might be difficult if there's some kids running around the chaos, but, but take some time this week. Those of you that are here in the room, let's just take a moment to consider our level of obedience. Not because we need it to be in God's good books. We're in his books because he's rescued us by grace. But we want to flourish in our relationship with him. We want to be good representatives with him. I'm going to create a moment, just a minute for us, for you to consider that and to just come back to God and freshly surrender your life to him. Let's do that for a moment. Father God, we thank you that everything that you call us to is for our own good and for your glory. Thank you that you are not a God of of rules who commands perfect obedience. You are a God of grace who desires us to flourish in this life and in this world as broken as it is. And so you give us your statutes, your commands, your teachings. I pray that we're a people who knows how to surrender to your teaching. Thank you that your commands are a gift to us. Teach us to embrace them afresh. Help us to understand grace more and more deeply. Even as we fall short, that you don't ever abandon or discard us. Thank you for the gift of your spirit that empowers and enables us. God, we want to be those who flourish in our relationship with you and each other and who represent you to this world well. Help us, God. Well, let's, uh, let's go to a final song.